0: You're listening to the podcast, Christian Life Issues, for today. And this is Wayne Mack, the host of this program. We've been doing a series of uh, podcasts on the subject, Your Family, God's Way, which is taken from a book that I wrote some time ago, published by Presbyterian and Reform Publishing Company. The subtitle of the book is Developing and Sustaining Relationships in the Family. This was what I heard in counseling from one man. He said, whenever my wife and I get into a discussion that would help me to get to know her better, she climbs up and refuses to talk. She keeps everything bottled up. My wife simply seldom ever initiates a conversation. If I didn't take the lead in almost every conversation, it would be like a morgue around our house. And then a wife said this. My husband has one word in his vocabulary. Well, no, he actually has two. One is uh uh-huh and the other is uh uh-huh. And she said, you've heard of old Stoneface? Well, I married it. Another person said, I married a, a newspaper with legs on it. And some parents said, getting our son to talk is like pulling teeth. If I ask him a question, he just grunts or gives a one word answer. His favorite words are nothing or I don't know. Or, get out of my face. Other children talk to their parents. Why can't he? Well, every marriage and family counselor has heard people speak painfully about communication breakdowns like these that I mentioned. Multitudes of people, both men and women, long for more sharing from other family members. But a dominant pattern of what I call small talk keeps them at a distance. I'm not referring to small talk in the sense of light, introductory conversation, but talk that is small in quantity. God has designed us to communicate verbally. He expects us to do so. The following are a few of many verses encouraging us to use the gift of speech and in effect warning us of the danger of small talk. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 and verse 11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 10 and verse 2 says, The words of the righteous nourish many. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. Proverbs 12 and verse 18 says, Speak to one another. And First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18 says, Encourage each other with these words. Now all of these verses indicate that God wants us to utilize our ability to speech. The lips of the righteous man aren't supposed to be continuously silent. They're to be put to work nourishing other people. Our mouths are to be used to bring cheer, to turn away wrath, to establish friendships, to commend knowledge, to sustain the weary, to give encouragement and to promote healing. When God describes the model wife and mother, he says she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That's Proverbs chapter 31, verse 26. She doesn't keep her mouth shut all the time. Her husband and children know what she's thinking and feeling because she tells them. They don't have to guess or depend exclusively on her nonverbal behavior this woman shares and her openness promotes harmony and closeness with other members of the family while every home needs a healthy amount of verbal communication among family members prayerful planning and spiritually empowered action can make this a reality Perhaps the most common manifestation of small talk is what I sometimes call undertalk. It's simply a lack of words. I've had people tell me that their families have gone for days without uttering a word. One man indicated that his wife had not said a word to him in five weeks. Parents have told me of children who will not initiate a conversation. They speak only if they're asked a question, and even then, very sparingly. When such patterns exist, the relationship between family members stays on a very superficial level and becomes boring. There's something exciting about sharing verbally. In my workday, I sometimes teach counseling several hours at a time. Occasionally, I grow tired and feel like relaxing or calling it a day. But I can't because I still have counseling cases scheduled. On such occasions, I wondered if I could be of any value to my counselees. But the appointments have been made And the people have come. So I ask the Lord for help and give my attention to the people. I listen to what they say and respond to them. They respond to me in return. And about 15 minutes into the session, I realize that I'm not tired anymore. My counselees willingness to open their lives Their inner selves to me is rejuvenating. Often I finish the sessions with more energy than when I began. I've often had the same experience with my family. Discontentment, fatigue, and loneliness have been relieved through interpersonal sharing. Loneliness has been relieved through that communication. A sense of excitement, involvement, security, warmth, and affirmation has grown out of my interaction with other family members. But undertalk has the reverse effect. When one woman told me that her husband was very uncommunicative, I suggested, well, maybe this communication deficiency has nothing to do with you. Perhaps he finds it difficult to talk to anyone. My point was not to excuse the husband or to minimize the wife's concerns, but I know from experience that some people simply find it more difficult to communicate than others. She disagreed. No, I've watched him when he's around other people, especially the people with whom he works. With them, he has plenty to say. It's just with me that he closes up. This woman interpreted her husband's small talk as a rejection of her. He must not think I'm very important. I'm not even worth talking to. Her husband's unwillingness, even to make an effort to communicate, provoked a spirit of frustration, discontentment, and dissatisfaction with her in some instances undertalk is manifested by topic avoidance a person may talk about certain things but not others perhaps he will talk about what interests him but what not not what interests others or he will gladly discuss superficial things but he won't share his thoughts, opinions, or feelings. That's a tragedy. Scripture informs us that pleasant words are sweet to the soul and that sharing good news is like cold water to a weary soul. That's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24, Proverbs 25, and verse 25. Some of the best news and most refreshing words family members could share with each other are pleasant words such as, I love you. You're really special to me. I thank God for you. I really enjoy being with you. Regrettably, many people are reluctant to verbalize such sentiments to members of their family. I often hear counselees say, I just don't go around saying it. I really like my family, but I just don't tell them. I do love her with my heart, but I just don't tell her. One woman told me that her husband had not told her that he loved her in four years. I asked him if that was true. He answered, yes. Why, I said, don't you love her? He replied, oh, sure, I love her. I just don't talk about it. I show it in other ways. Many a child, young or old, has expressed with great pain and sadness, my parents have never told me they love me. Hurting parents make similar statements about their children. I've seen them weep in anguish over children who neither verbalized or demonstrated love to them. Jim was frustrated because his wife, Jane, would not communicate with him on several important family issues. Topics such as sex, child discipline, in-law relationships, finances, job changes, Or similar problems were off limits. When Jim would try to stimulate a discussion on some of these issues, Jane would simply say, I don't want to talk about it, or let's talk about it tomorrow, or I really haven't given it any thought. At times she would become annoyed or give a flippant answer, making it clear that she didn't want to discuss it any further. The more Jane excelled at topic avoidance, the more issues remained unresolved in their relationship and accumulated over the years. Eventually, Jim and Jane experienced serious marital and family dysfunction. Because of this failure to communicate about important issues, their marital relationship suffered badly. Small talk sometimes is disguised, disguised in the form of not just a lack of talk, but if there is any talk at all, it's apathetic talk. The message, I don't care what you think or feel or want to say, can be communicated literally or can be conveyed indirectly by a blank expression, inattention, or a lack of enthusiasm in your voice when a family member shares his interests or concerns. In one way or another, the message comes across that this person doesn't really care what the other person is saying. This person is indifferent to the other person and the other person's ideas. Deficient personal sharing is another way, besides apathetic talk, that small talk displays itself. Wives frequently say something like this. I don't know my husband. He doesn't share his thoughts. He doesn't express his desires or his goals or his concerns. He doesn't display his feelings. He keeps me at a distance and doesn't allow me to get to know what's going on inside of him. I want to know what makes him tick, but he won't let me. Sometimes parents will say, I really don't know what my child child is thinking or how he feels about anything. He's like a house with most of the doors locked and most of the curtains pulled so I can't see in. Deficient sharing prevents intimacy and hinders efforts to build the family God's way. Small talk also sometimes comes in the form of an acknowledgement deficit. Sometimes acknowledgement deficit promotes family destruction by the fact that when someone else is talking, the other person doesn't even acknowledge that they're talking. Steve has what he thinks is a great idea. It's very important to him, so he shares it with his father, expecting, hey, Steve, that's a terrific idea. How can I be of help to you? Or at least, that's very interesting, tell me more. Instead, there's no response or merely, hmm, from his Father, then dad picks up the newspaper or changes of conversation to a topic that's more important to him. It's as if Steve hasn't said anything, at least anything worthy of attention. As a result, Steve, the son, feels rejected. Acknowledgement deficit may occur during family discussions. When one member makes a contribution, but no one else pays attention, or perhaps the suggestion is rejected in a cavalier fashion. It also happens when one member of the family parades the ideas or accomplishments of another as if they were his own thoughts or ideas. He wants credit for them, doesn't even give credit to the other family member for what he is talking about. Refusing to acknowledge the true source, this person closes down communication. This communication deficit may also take place when family members have argued or one person has sinned against another and no one acknowledges fault or error. When the words, I was wrong, and you were right, or please forgive me for the way I treated you are seldom heard among family members, you have acknowledgement deficit in the house. Small talk also manifests itself in families suffering from chronic deficit In expressions of appreciation. In such homes, family members routinely take each other for granted, seldom if ever thanking one another for simple kindnesses. They act as if they deserve the help and consideration they receive from each other. Favors are considered to be the other person's duty. Maybe some family member has done his utmost to please the other members of the family. He or she has been extremely faithful in fulfilling responsibilities and cheerful in going the extra mile. Yet no one gives recognition or shows gratitude. Some wives, husbands, parents, and children never hear other family members say thank you or that's really pleasing whatever they do is merely their job their responsibility and why should be they they be thanked for doing that significantly most of the letters of the apostle paul contain some expression of thanks or appreciation, not only to God, but also to the people to whom he was writing. To the Philippians, Paul wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I rejoice in you. You are my joy and my crown. That's found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 10. Paul didn't take for granted these brethren or what they had done for him. True, they had only done what they should have done as Christians, yet he made it a point to express his gratitude to them. No Christian family that takes God and his word seriously should show undertalk in the form of a lack of commendation. That should not be the rule of the day. We're to encourage one another, esteem one another, and appreciate one another. Those commands are found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. This is our Christian duty to express appreciation. It also means that it promotes good family relationships. People who appreciate and respect one another enjoy each other and tend to experience harmony and unity with each other. Now, we've seen some of the manifestations of small talk, at least what I call small talk. But a more perplexing question for many is, how does small talk establish itself in the family? I've considered six common contributors to small talk. One is fatigue. I sometimes crank up a conversation with people and it's real work but there are some people who are not willing to really work at it. Any attempt to communicate the other person seems to have a barrier between them and the one who's talking. You make one attempt and nothing clicks and so you give up trying and don't go on again and again to try to communicate. Communication takes effort. Some people aren't willing to expend that much energy. And so small talk gets a foothold in the family. Selfishness or stubbornness, stubbornness and a lack of desire or a formulated desire to punish Other people are at the roots of some small talk. I don't care if other families want me to communicate. All I want is what I want. They're being very selfish. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. My wife will have to accept me the way I am. She wants me to communicate. But I'm not going to give in to her because... If I do, she'll take advantage of me. I'll show them. They want me to talk. Well, I'm not going to. They don't do a lot of things I want them to do. They hurt me. They don't let me do what I want to do. I have no other way to get even. But if I keep quiet, that really bugs them. In some instances, small talk takes up residence in the family because someone has a sense of inferiority. A person feels that he has nothing worthwhile saying. He develops the idea that everybody else is much smarter than he is. He's afraid that if he opens his mouth, he might sound foolish. And so a sense of inferiority, or is it pride, keeps him from talking. Similarly, fear invites small talk into family relationships. People hesitate to speak freely because they fear that others may use what they say against them. They realize that if they keep their talk On a superficial level, there isn't much risk. But if they really open up and share their inmost secrets, others might laugh at them. Or if they share some of their struggles and temptations, someone may look down his nose at them and say, you're supposed to be spiritual and you're struggling with that temptation? Good Christians don't do that. And so the fear of man will prove to be a snare, as Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 says. Whoever trusts in the Lord, it says, however, is kept safe. If they're trusting in family members, they run a risk, and so they keep quiet. Family members may be so afraid to talk, Because someone may ridicule them, disagree with them, or reject their ideas. So they keep quiet. That was Jane's problem, the woman I mentioned earlier. Viewing disagreement as rejection, she despised controversy of any kind. She needed help in developing her relationship with God because whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The fear of the Lord brings strong confidence. And so the problem of small talk really comes bound down to the fact that she's not trusting in God. She's not recognizing that God is her sufficiency and God is her security. She's not developing a truly God-focused life, which will enable her to put aside her paralyzing fear of man. According to Proverbs, an inordinate fear of man indicates distrust in God, and an attempt to find our security in something other than God. A vital and appropriate fear of God invariably gives confidence. It delivers us from ungodly inhibitions and paralyzing fears. It frees us to do what's right, regardless of the apparent consequences. It allows us to talk with family members about things that are important for the family to function properly and experience harmony and unity. Rejection by others may be extremely painful. However, if we are secure in our relationship with God, there's a sense in which it doesn't matter what others think of us or how they respond. We know that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us, says Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? That's Psalm 27 and verse 1. Some people have learned small talk from their past training. The old idea that children are meant to be seen, not heard, still holds court in some families. Instead of teaching them when and how to speak and when to be silent, parents teach their children by verbal and nonverbal instruction that good little boys or girls keep quiet and don't interfere. Children learn... That being silent pleases mom and dad. The less a child says, the better they get that idea. A number of years ago, a friend from another part of the world came to visit us. One evening, our whole family was sitting around the dinner table with him when he broached some theological issues. He looked at me and I shared my viewpoint. Then my son, who we called Chip, respectfully injected his comments. At an appropriate time and in an appropriate manner, another son of ours, Nathan, added his perspective. I suspect, though I don't remember, that my daughter Beth may have also contributed a few remarks. Josh was still a baby, and my wife Carol was out in the kitchen, or they probably would have entered into the conversation also. I considered that their input was entirely proper and worthwhile. They didn't interrupt. They were not rude or smart-alecky nor were they loud, and they didn't abominate and dominate the conversation. They made a good contribution to what I thought was a discussion, not a monologue. But my friend saw it another way. He was disturbed that children would enter an adult conversation. He made that clear to us and even mentioned it to someone else. In his mind, children are meant to be seen, not heard, or perhaps neither seen nor heard. We've always encouraged family discussions of most issues and welcomed the insights and opinions of our children. God has taught us much through them. Certainly, children need to be trained but not to avoid talking, instead of small talk, far better to train them in right talk. Teach your children to talk about the right things in the right way and at the right time. Train them to speak respectfully, thoughtfully, constructively, and under control. This is part of building our families God's way. My point is not that adults enmeshed in small talk because of past training and natural ability to communicate effectively. They just need to be trained properly to use that ability, not shut down completely. They need to train themselves by following the guidelines that I'm mentioning in this series of podcasts. Podcasts which are about becoming better communicators. Another common contributor to small talk in the home, a lack of talk, is people saying... I'd talk more if only I had the time. Someday when I'm older and don't have to work as hard or as long, I'll talk my mate and my children frequently and with a lot of words. But I can't find the time right now. I'm too busy making a living, going to church, taking care of things around the house, When am I supposed to find the time to talk to my spouse and the children when I have all of these other things to do? Makes sense, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. God's Word declares that communication is extremely important and we neglect it at great peril. Besides that, human experience abundantly illustrates the destructiveness of small talk or a lack of talk in families and marriages. Building deep, God-honoring, satisfying family relationships requires an adequate amount of effective communication. The person who continuously sees his busyness as an excuse for small talk either doesn't want to communicate or is ignorant of its importance in his life and family. He either doesn't know or doesn't care what God says on the subject. In reality, this person knows that there are a lot of other things that are more important, so he thinks, and perhaps to him they're more enjoyable than communicating with his wife and children. The truth is we make time for what we value most in life. Other things are left undone because we don't think they're important or we're selfish. But if you believe the Bible, you simply can't read what it says about communication and come away with the idea that effective, adequate communication is optional in family life. Nor can you observe what happens in families after many years of small talk and regard it as harmless. Small talk is a family killer. God's word says that that is true. And human experience illustrates it.